My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. In 2016, more than 2 million cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis were reported in the U.S., which is the highest number ever, according to a CDC report. And last year, right here in California, diagnoses for sexually transmitted diseases reached a record high. And recently, someone acquired a particularly severe STD coined super gonorrhea in the U.K. This can all make us feel ever so slightly... I'm starting to sound like your sex ed teacher from middle school, aren't I? Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to just say no when it comes to sex or make you really scared of toilets and public restrooms. I am going to introduce you instead to an awesome expert to help sort out kind of the quote hipster nonsense from the actual facts. I'm also always going to encourage you all to practice safe sex and to cultivate sex that... um, is nourishing for your body and for your soul without stigmatizing STDs, STIs, or sex, or your girl boner, because they're so valid. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am thrilled that you are listening. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for occasional girl boner extras at augustmclaughlin.com. I send personal notes about once a month, often with goodies I don't share anywhere else. And you can now pre-order my first Girl Boner book on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com to receive a copy ASAP once it releases on August 7th, head over and search for Girl Boner. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Sean Buono, a public health microbiologist with a PhD focused in environmental health sciences from UCLA and a broad range of research interests, including STIs and public health research. Thank you for being here, Sean. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background. I know you grew up in this area, in the Los Angeles area. What did you learn about sex and sexuality growing up? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I grew up in an Italian Catholic house, uh, uh, household, so uh, I went to Catholic school pretty much uh, throughout high school, like uh, middle school, junior high, all that. And um, basically, like the sex ed that we got was, shall we say, not comprehensive. It was very much... Uh, focused on abstinence only, and then it was also kind of saying if you do have sex, like condoms don't work, and um, they would also tell us like about diseases and say how life threatening they were, but they wouldn't say like how to prevent them or anything like that. So it was really, it definitely, you know, growing up in the '90s, it was like it was a little less sex positive, I'd say, than it was today. Um, so definitely didn't learn that much there. It took a lot of experience afterwards to be able to to come to a better place, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's relatable for so many people. And you mentioned not learning much about prevention. I also remember or now looking back, I'm like, we never learned what to do once you have one, like to live with one, to protect yourself. Because yeah. isn't it more likely to acquire an STI at some point in your life? Than not to. Well, uh, the main the the best way that I would think about it, I mean, professionally and like ecumenically, I guess. Um, I think about SGS kind of like skiing. Like when you go skiing, like you run a risk of like hitting a tree, but like very few people actually like hit the tree. 
Um, but then the ones that do, like, it depends on, like, how fast were you going? Did you hit it with, like, head-on or did you, like, kind of bump into it? So, I mean, there's different levels of risk involved with it. Like, obviously, the more often you go skiing, the more likely you're going to hit a tree. Uh, same kind of thing with STIs. I mean, like, the more often you have sex, you're increasing the odds that you're going to contract one, uh, especially if you increase the number of anonymous partners you have. That doesn't mean every single time you have sex, you're going to acquire it. But in, uh, certainly with certain diseases like gonorrhea, chlamydia, those are much more common than other diseases like HIV uh, and syphilis. So, I mean, like, it really, there really is, like, kind of a broad spectrum of, like, what your risk is for acquiring an STI. Yeah, yeah. And so many are very treatable. Some are curable. And yes. so often it's like most good things in life are risky in some way. Mm -hmm. And if the pleasure and the goodness outweighs it, then, you know, it, you're, you just try to be as smart as you can. Right. And I mean, like, uh, with something that I think a lot of people don't think about, like, uh, especially in our culture, in American culture, uh, if you have an STI, people kind of stigmatize that and say, oh, well, like, you know, Janie over here got gonorrhea. She must be like pretty loose or whatever. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. You can get it the first time you've acquired it. Uh, women that are victims of sexual assault sometimes can actually get acquire an STI from their um, their aggressor. And it's like, you know, that's not her fault or his fault for acquiring that STI. It's just something happened. And it can happen the first time. Yeah. Um, I think the best way to think about it with STIs is like, you know, just be aware of them, that they exist. It's not a person's moral failing if they get one. Um, it is up to the person to like be knowledgeable about it and try to prevent it as best they can. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to to proactively not shame people because I think yeah. that that can be so insidious and sometimes cause as many if not more problems than a particular, depending on the STI, you might have some symptoms for a while, maybe some pain or some irritation or itching or something and you take medication, maybe it gets better. If you have shame around that and you feel like less than as a person when they're so common, you know, a lot of people are dealing with them right now, but no one's kind of talking about them. So it can feel yeah. very isolating. Yeah, it can be. And I know a, a very good example of that, I think, is herpes. Um, a lot of I, I think the last time I looked up the statistics, they may, they might be different now. Um, I think it was like seven in 10 people have uh, either HSV one or HSV two, uh, which is herpes simplex virus. And, you know, of course, both of those viruses can cause genital herpes. You know, obvious, something not a lot of people know about is if you have a cold sore and you go down on someone and you give them a blowjob, you can actually give them genital herpes. Um, it'll re-manifest as, as um, oral herpes or cold sores, fever blisters, if you will. Um, but for the most part, like, you can't, like, the first flare-up will be genital herpes. And there's such a stigma about it, and ultimately it's like herpes is more of a nuisance. It doesn't really kill anybody. Um, and it's something that you can treat with medication, a cyclovir, so... It's something where it can flare up. It can be a pain in the butt, literally, um, but you can take care of it, and it's not a big problem. But yeah. there is still that stigma of, oh, this person has it, herpes, gross, whatever. It's I like, know. I hate that it's a punchline. Yeah. I just think that that's not a way to insult somebody. It's just because we wouldn't say that about like pneumonia. You might get pneumonia yeah. from hugging somebody or kissing somebody, but. If you say on social media, like, oh, my gosh, I have pneumonia. Everyone is so loving. And if you said, hey, everyone, I have herpes. You, you <laughs> then know. they're going to look at you like, whoa, really? Like, you're yeah. admitting that? <laughs> Although a lot of people will probably be like, oh, my God, that, that makes me feel better because I do, too. Or, yeah. you know, but you might not hear from them. It's, it's just interesting how we see these viruses so different yeah. from other ones. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from just not not entirely understanding, you know, the circumstances, of course, of contracting one of those diseases, but also like the disease itself. Yeah. Um, if you look at it from like a, a nerdy virologist standpoint, as as I often do, uh, herpes viruses are the most successful pathogens out there because one, they're super easy to spread from person to person. Uh, two, some people may not notice them; some people will. And three, it doesn't kill the host. So you still get to live inside your human host and you're fine. You have some cells, nutrients, you can multiply, make more viruses and grow. Um, but you don't necessarily harm the host in that sense. It's just super annoying. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I've heard that very often, like you might get one outbreak and then never again. Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on your how healthy your immune system is. I'm going to be bringing that up a lot, I think, during the talk. Uh, but I mean, uh, basically, if you have a healthy immune system, you have one flare up of herpes virus, but you're going to build up antibodies to it. You're going to uh, co- get over it. Your fever blisters or your, col- or your herpes blisters are going to go away. And then ultimately, you're fine for a long time. Um, you do get flare ups. Usually, if you're under a lot of stress, like um, I don't know how many of your listeners have ever um, you know, been super stressed out, like they're moving or they're going to have a wedding or something else that's really a major life event. And then all of a sudden, oh, fuck, I have a cold sore. Like, can we say that online? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, that happens where it's just like, oh, really? Like, why do I have like a cold sore right now? This sucks. And it's like, well, yeah, because you're stressed out, your immune system's down. So the herpes virus is able to establish a new infection and kind of flare up again. And it'll get suppressed again when your immune system builds up again. But at the same time, it's like, Oh man, like this is a nuisance. It's like, yeah, yeah, because it's hitting you when you're most vulnerable. Yeah, totally. So I'd love to leap from the one that is super duper common to this super virus. What is this, this very crazy version, or at least that's what it seems like in the media, this really intense version of gonorrhea? Gotcha. Um, So uh, one point of correction, gonorrhea is actually a bacterium. So it's not Ah. not a virus. Um, And we, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, running in the curtails of this bigger problem in microbiology where uh, in the 20th century, we discovered antibiotics and it's like, okay, great, antibiotics. These are like nifty little chemical drugs that we can use to basically kill or uh, stop the growth of bacteria. Um, so that way we can like allow your immune system to clear the bacteria out and get rid of it and then, yeah, you're healthy. Um, the problem with gonorrhea is every time we introduce a new drug to treat gonorrhea, basically it builds up resistance to it. Um, the way I kind of think about it, like imagine, um, now we're talking about like kind of this high idea in microbiology, but imagine like you're trying to um, sort out different colors like on a map, right? And you have like a bunch of like different like circle and square pegs. All of your square pegs, you want to get rid of the square pegs and you want to get rid of like every single one of them that's like perfectly square. So you lay down like all of these things to like catch the square pegs, but then you have like one or two square pegs that are sort of an octagon. Mm -hmm. And then you've removed all the square pegs, but now you have these octagons, but now those start multiplying. So you have octagons, so you have to change like what kind of shape are you using to remove it. Um, Kind of the same thing with like this drug-resistant gonorrhea where it's like uh, you may have like one bacterium that's a mutant that's resistant to uh, the drug you're using, but you use that drug to kill off all the susceptible bacteria. So now mm. you just have that one that's selected for, given an advantage, now it can grow and multiply and pass out its genes to the next generation. So is it much worse symptom-wise, too, or is it just harder to treat? Uh, same symptom-wise. The problem is it's a lot harder to treat. Mm. So we're, uh, there was actually a CDC report that came out in 2012 uh, that basically said we're almost in the new age of an untreatable gonorrhea. Um, and the reason for that is penicillin doesn't work, hasn't worked since the 70s. 
Uh, we can't use quinolone drugs like uh, ciprofloxacin. Uh, we can't use uh, some of the other drugs like azithromycin because it is uh, resistant to those. So now we're really left with our last line of defense, and now we're seeing this like few strains, mostly in like Southeast Asia and now in the UK, uh, that are hyper drug resistant to cephalosporins, which is like our last tool that we can use to really treat. So what happens? What well, what are the symptoms? And if you can't treat it, does it just keep going on and on? Yeah. So this is the thing that kind of gets tricky. Um, uh, the if you don't treat it, the infection can go on and on. Um, the symptoms can manifest a little differently in men and women. Uh, in women, unfortunately, a lot of times it's asymptomatic. Many girls won't even know that they're infected with it. Um, and like, if you do notice, like, there can be like a purulent discharge, like, because it causes a lot of inflammation in the area. You'll have like a yellow, kind of thick discharge. Uh, in men, it's uh, quite apparent because you have, <clears throat> excuse me. In men, you can have painful urination. Um, and you also have like this dripping, like ye thick yellow discharge coming out of your penis. So it's kind of like for men, it's like, oh, why does it hurt that I pee? Ow, ow, oh God. And like you go to the doctor, it's like, yep, gonorrhea, here's some pills, go home. Yeah. Uh, for women, I think 70% of the cases or so are asymptomatic. So like many women won't even know they've got it. So then will you develop complications? Is it bad to have it if it's oh, not causing yeah. you any symptoms? Yeah. So uh, especially the complications, I think, are much worse for women, unfortunately. Uh, if it's not treated, it can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease. It can actually ascend to uh, the fallopian tubes, cause an infection, and effectively make you sterile. Uh, so it is a big concern for reproductive health. Uh, and for men, of course, it can also cause epididymitis, epididymitis, I think I pronounced that correctly. I don't think um, anyone of us knows, so yes. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are like medically terms for <laughs> basically it infects your testes and makes it a lot more difficult for you to have children too. Okay. Um, but unfortunately for women, it's a lot worse. Like the complications can really arise yeah. quickly. Is that one that's in a standard test that you get at an annual physical? Yeah. So um, definitely if you inform your doctor that you're sexually active, they will – they'll usually have you like pee in a cup or use a swab of some sort. I know – uh, back in the day, they used to have to uh, swab, and they would actually, like, uh, use a swab, go into, like, a woman's vagina and, like, really kind of wiggle it around um, to see if they would be able to pick up gonorrhea or chlamydia. Um, you can actually test nowadays with, like, these rapid uh, uh, nucleic acid tests. Basically, you'll know in two hours whether or not your patient's positive or negative for gonorrhea or chlamydia. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that's nice that it's faster because you, you don't want to be sitting in that unknown state and, you know, not knowing not only do you have a particular infection or disease, but if it's not this one, then it's that one, and they can all be so different, and maybe it's very serious and, and all of that. I have a right. question from a listener that I think ties really well into this topic. Oh, okay. It is from a listener named Val who wrote this. I had sex with another guy when my boyfriend and I were on a break. When we got back together, we promised not to talk about whatever sexual stuff we did during the apart time. But mm -hmm. I found out I had chlamydia literally the day after we got back together, for oh, sure, gosh. from the other guy. Yeah, what a bummer. And Ugh, my boyfriend knows him. I feel awful for so many reasons. I got treatment for the chlamydia and told the guy about it in an email, and I haven't heard back. I feel like I should tell my boyfriend, but I'm afraid it'll screw everything up. What should I do, Val? Val, thank you so much for your question. Oh, Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say of GreatLifeGreatSex.com. Val. Thanks so much for this question and congratulations. I'm 
really excited that you and your boyfriend um, have decided to get back together and sort of really recognize there's so much worth sort of fighting for. Um, and you sort of want to take your relationship to the next level. So although as challenging as this conversation will be, there's a maturity to it. And the reality is, as you mentioned, you found this out just the day after you got back together. And so I'm willing to bet you probably had sex the day that you got back together. And as you know, um, the treatment for chlamydia is simple. It is a antibiotic, either a single dose or seven days. But in that seven-day window, they recommend not having sex because there is the risk of infecting a partner. And then what it would be is the risk of reinfecting yourself. And the reason this is so important is because you're actually fortunate that you found out and knew that you had chlamydia because as I said, it's so easy to treat, but the reality is it is the number one STD and the majority of both men and women don't have any symptoms. And so I imagine you probably had one sort of similar to UTI, sort of the burning or the discomfort or discharge. Um, but when and if you potentially put your partner, boyfriend at risk and didn't disclose it, the thing about you being reinfected with it is that 30% of those with chlamydia, it goes on untreated to become and spread to the pelvic organs and ultimately leads to pelvic inflammatory disease or PID. And so this is why it really, from a sexual health perspective, is in a sense non-negotiable because... Um, Again, so many people are not aware of having symptoms, and yet it definitely can cause permanent damage to the female reproductive tract and the fallopian tubes in particular. And so um, as challenging as it is, this is about your own sexual health as well as obviously caring for your boyfriend. And when it comes to the disclosure, listen, you guys were on a break, and that was part of the understanding that you know either and or both of you may have another sexual partner. And so, and you didn't want to know the details. So I think you know here it's like you don't need to share those details. It's not about how many partners you were with, who that guy was, especially if he knows him, um, or how many times you had sex with that other person. All of those details are absolutely irrelevant. The only relevant detail is. You know, you're being a responsible adult and a responsible adult who's fortunate enough to recognize had symptoms and got treated for chlamydia and you just want to protect his sexual health and, as I said, ultimately your own. And so, you know, this is what happens. We get into these mature conversations and, you know, I sort of say in all relationships, you know, the rubber meets the road. We have, um, you know, stress or uh, unexpected life events that come up and they really do put uh, tension on a relationship, but it's really about how do we cope and react to that. Um, and the, this is where I often refer to the research of John Gottman because for those who want to stay in love, there's actually sort of a magical three ingredients and that is the commitment coming back together, the trust and part of the trust is having these difficult conversations and honest conversations. And then ultimately it is the ability to, um, regulate one's own uh, moods, emotions, the ability to calm your own uh, nervous system, essentially. And so, you know, having this, although not wanted or desired conversation, challenging conversation toward the beginning is really going to give you a sense of like, you know, do we have the chops, right? Do we have the um, ability to sort of weather the storm and realize, you know what, look at how great we're handling it and being mature about it and 
there was nothing that was uh, in any way a betrayal to the, you know, the terms of the break. And so coming back together, you're coming back with the foundation of the commitment and the trust. Um, and then you're seeing in real life time your own ability to together really figure out how to, whatever emotions may get stirred up, how do you manage those and how do you help each other through them and sort of leaning into each other um, to, you know, be able to relax and find that solace. And so um, I get that it's not optimal timing, but in some ways it's a blessing in disguise because first and foremost, I'm really glad that you found out you had chlamydia so that it could get treated, right? And that you're not going to be one of those women who would go on or could go on to have uh, permanent reproductive damage. And so, you know, there really is a silver lining. The opportunity here is that you know that you got treated and that you're going to get your boyfriend treated when and if he would, you know, that he would just get tested, right? Just to make sure that in any way chlamydia didn't spread or wasn't transmitted to him. And so, um, you know, I know it's not easy, but I think that from a sexual health perspective, they're really, and most importantly for your own sexual health, that there, there's no choice here. And, um, although challenging and difficult, please do let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what you had to say about the importance of having the conversation, especially because they, I mean, maybe they had sex right away when, you know, when you get back together with someone, yeah. sometimes that's the case. Yeah, and he's he's definitely a risk of getting it. And uh, unfortunately, if she, if, for example, if she gets treated uh, for chlamydia and then she has sex with her boyfriend again, her boyfriend has chlamydia now, uh, he might be able to get her infected. So that's really, that's something where it's like not even just like a, oh my God, we were on a break and this thing happened. Like it's more of a practical like, hey, so when we were on a break, this thing happened to me. It was just once, you know let's both get treated so that way we don't keep reinfecting ourselves because I, I would be more concerned about that at this point. Because that's another really important point. If you're cured of a particular SDI or SDE, that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you can't get it again. Yeah. Well, uh, especially for gonorrhea and chlamydia, they change their surface proteins. So it's really uh, – well, gonorrhea specifically changes its surface proteins. So uh, you can get reinfected with gonorrhea quite easily, and it'll evade the immune system very well. That's why it causes those persistent infections. Uh, chlamydia is an intracellular parasite, so it likes to be inside your cells and like kind of infect from cell to cell, so it never gets to interact with your immune system that much. So really the only way you can kind of nip that one in the bud is to uh, use an antibiotic to slow it down and stop it so your immune system can clear it out. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely paramount for your listener, like, you know, make sure you get treated, but make sure you have your boyfriend tested and treated as well. Uh, that way you just know. Yeah, and it's always knowing, better to really know. really like 70% of the battle here. Yeah, yeah. And the conversations, I think, can be challenging for a lot of the reasons that we were talking about yeah. with the shame and the stigma and people. I really don't like when people say they're dirty when they have a, you know, an STI or STD. I actually have a quote from uh, my my book here. Where is it? Uh-huh from Ashley Manta, who is a sex educator and a canisexual, and she has herpes, and she said this to me. I cringe when someone says I'm clean as an indicator of a negative yeah. SDI status because having an SDI does not make someone dirty, and I get really grumpy when I read the phrase suffering from herpes. I have herpes. I'm not suffering, and I was dirty way before I ever contracted an STI. I love Ashley. She's at ashleymanta.com. Yeah, that's so that important quote. to think like, 
it doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, that definitely happens sometimes in the LGBT community. Like if you're if you're on like one of those dating apps like Scruff or Grinder or whatever, um, like people will have something that says, "No, I'm clean. It's fun." It's like, "No, clean, unclean. Like let's not let's not do that." Like you are positive for something or not positive for something. Like yeah, yeah. At least I I think about it from like you know a disease control standpoint. Like you know, okay, say you're you're HIV positive or something. Okay, that's good to know. What's your viral load? Have you been tested? Are you on your meds? Like, okay, good, 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 great. You're basically not shedding virus. You're fine. Like, that doesn't mean you're unclean. It means that there's a virus hanging out in one of your cells, like somewhere in your body. Yeah. But you're not like infectious. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally do. And I think making what you said, like the conversation about here's my status, all that stuff, standard so that you know unless you have one partner and you're monogamous and you know you have your agreements and everything set if you are if you have multiple partners if you are single off and on or whatever so that it's not this freaky oh my god i have to have this conversation just like even practicing it i think with a friend and just saying like let's just make this like just part of the thing And, and and even making it i think a fun conversation to talk about you know, to ask about like protection and stuff like that. I interviewed yeah. Joan Price recently and she's, uh, she teaches people who are in their golden years to have very sexually fulfilling <laughs> lives. And yeah. a lot of elderly people are now getting SDIs yeah. and STDs because Syphilis, I think yeah. I was going up in that if I wasn't mistaken. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause I think there's this idea that if you are, you know, you've been married to the same person for decades or something, and then you're single that, you just assume because we have this idea that people look a certain way or are a certain way or, of course, this person, you know, I can't yeah. get pregnant. Therefore, it's, quote, safe. Right. And I, I think, like, it, it kind of brings up what we were talking about earlier where, like, Americans in general are kind of uncomfortable with sex where it's like, you know, no one wants that. Like, you'll, you'll hear people say, like, no one wants the mental image of, like, your parents having sex or, like, your grandparents having sex or something. And it's like, yeah, there are human beings with needs and feelings and desires, too. Like, you know, that's why, you know, especially like for some of our listeners, it's like, look, man, I was single. Like I had sex with someone like let's kind of get over that part and be more practical about like, do I have something? Yes or no. And like um, I think there because there's so much stigma around STIs, people don't want to get tested. It's more of one of these like, oh, God, I don't even want to know if I want to know it, that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but practically like you need to know it because it's your health like at the end of the day ladies like it's your ovaries you want to protect them like you want to be able to have kids someday like chlamydia and gonorrhea will compromise that ability you know yeah i've heard from numerous people including some friends who they were so frightened like they perhaps got a diagnosis for, for something and they wanted me to share some things with them so that they didn't have to Google it because they're afraid of all the scary stuff coming <laughs> up. And, you know, it yeah. can be really, it can be scary. Um, but, but yeah, having those conversations also, I think, can really heighten intimacy because whenever we're more vulnerable, we have the opportunity for so much growth. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely no connection without some vulnerability. And like, certainly there's a risk of like, you know, if you're vulnerable with someone and they're like, oh, that's gross, whatever. It's like, okay, well, that's not a new, that person was a jerk. Like, you don't need to yeah. Be dating someone who's like that, who's yeah. so sex negative. Ashley actually said, Ashley Manza also told me that she has found having herpes to be a really great kind of litmus test for whether somebody is going to be respectful and a good partner because she doesn't want to date or be with somebody who would stigmatize you for that, you right. know? So it, it can 
you know, can be, it's what you make of it and taking care of yourself is, is important, but definitely addressing all the, the layers of things. So you mentioned syphilis. Mm-hmm. I think I'm speaking probably for many people. I know for myself, when I hear the word syphilis, I think of like 1802 or something. Like yeah. it sounds like this very ancient disease before we had hospitals. Oh yeah. And it, it's, it's funny. It goes like, if you go, if you really dig through some of the history of it, they suspected the like people in ancient Egypt had it. Um, I know for sure syphilis was first documented among Italians, like it's like the 1400s or something. So it's like it is a really old uh, pathogen. Um, and unfortunately, from like the health care perspective, we've actually seen rates of syphilis, especially here in Los Angeles County, increase like um, every single year since 2000. So, I mean, like our, our syphilis rates are the highest they've been since the, like the late 20th century. What are some of the symptoms of syphilis? So syphilis is a royal pain uh, because the first initial symptoms are asymptomatic. Basically, uh, you'll actually get like a large sore or chancre, but... Um, like a genital Yeah, it's thing. like a genital lesion, but like it's not it's not something that's like bit and bloody or anything like that. It's painless because uh, a lot of the pain receptors are actually numb in the area. So you might not even notice it. Like if it's yeah. what if it's in your anus or something? Yeah, exactly. And it's this is especially a problem, especially for women or like, uh, you know, gay men who are bottoms or, uh, you know, receptive anal sex. Uh, if you have the sore like on the internal organ, you won't see it and you won't feel it. So it's easy to miss that. Um, so syphilis has four different stages. Uh, the first stage is like that painless lesion, at the, usually at the site where the bacterium enters your skin. Uh, the second stage will pop up a couple weeks later. That's usually what we call the secondary infection. And that'll appear like this weird, crazy rash that appears like all over your body. Um, it can be pretty severe or mild, uh, but it is this really odd, like kind of itchy rash. And uh, if you go to the doctor's office and they're not keen on seeing, like if they don't see a lot of syphilis, it's easy to kind of mistake that as like, maybe it's measles, maybe it's something else. Like, And meanwhile, yeah. it's getting worse? Well, it'll get worse and then it'll eventually fade away. Like cure, um, go away on its own? Yeah, it'll eventually, mm-hmm. the rash will eventually resolve on its own, but uh, the bacterium will start to disseminate different parts of your body. So this is a bacterial infection. It is a bacterium. Okay, um, And syphilis, uh, like other spirochete bacteria, will actually disseminate to your central nervous system, and it can actually cause uh, a tertiary infection, which would be like months, sometimes even years later after this latent no-symptom period, um, where you can have like neurological disorders. It can form these large masses in your brain and heart called gummas, which are actually like kind of like really big sort of tumors, but they're not tumors. Mm. Um, And uh, that tertiary stage, like all the damage that's done there is permanent. So syphilis is really something where it's like if you can catch it early on, the better. And unfortunately, in the primary and secondary stage, that's when you're most likely to transmit it to someone else, especially when it's like you have that painless sore, but you're still shedding the bacteria. Mm. So that way it's like pretty easy to transmit from person to person. How does all of this kind of interplay with body positivity, which I know is also an yeah. important aspect of education for you? And- uh, I think when it comes to body positivity, it's more kind of learning. It's I think about it in terms of like being comfortable with yourself and like kind of knowing what's normal and what's not normal. Like, uh, for example, like if you're, you know, if you're me, like you're kind of overweight a little, you know, on the heftier side. Like, it is important to kind of, like, when you're in the shower, like, check yourself out, move some of your curves around and all that. Uh, So that way it's like, oh, that wasn't there, like, a couple weeks ago or, like, this, you know, kind of looks big or abnormal or something. Go to your doctor and take care of it. Like, it's 
it's kind of something where like I, I even knew a few friends that a few girlfriends I should say that were just like oh yeah like I never look like down there that's scary and it's like no girl you should know what's going on like because yeah. what how are you gonna know if you're infected with something you yeah know? if you have a vulva I feel like it's really important to to do the mirror exercise <laughs> I feel like that's very vagina monologues but yeah. that's okay because I even, love that plan. or even like feel around a little bit and just make sure like okay things are fine we're set yeah. like you know for men if you have like you know, a penis or something and you have foreskin on it, it's like, okay, pull back the foreskin. Does everything look cool? Do you have like, you know, a bump on it or something? If you do like maybe get that checked out and see if it's, you know, yeah. an STI or something, you know? Yeah. It's just a matter of like, it's kind of like hygiene and kind of just like not getting squicked out by our own bodies, you know? Yeah. Which I think is an important priority and something we might not realize. Yeah. I think that sometimes we feel like body negativity is normal, just as sex negativity yeah. seems normal because it's normalized, but right. it's not natural. Like we aren't born disliking our genitals. Like toddlers will feel around and go like, what's that? Yeah. You know, and just encouraging them to be like, oh, well, that is your vulva, your penis or your testicles or whatever. And also, you know, it's okay to touch them, but in private, you know, like there's ways to talk about this yeah. stuff that is, that is much more positive. And the more that we value our bodies, I feel like we're much more likely to take care of them and, uh, and respect other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned LGBTQ issues can sometimes, I feel like sex education is especially failing for <laughs> people who are not hetero There's sex education and... for gay people? What? Where? <laughs> How? When? Well, I heard, of a, <laughs> I heard of a book once. Um, there actually is one called Girl Sex by Allison Moon that uh, I heard is pretty good. I don't, I don't remember learning anything at all. I don't think the word gay or straight or anything like yeah, that was there was no certainly identity I didn't get that stuff. message in, in catholic school yeah um, yeah well i mean like uh, i mean like my experience in catholic school is very much like okay the church tells you like we're not cool in the sex part but just get married and never have sex the rest of your lives and it's like that is yeah, so realistic Sean. Of, it's not realistic <laughs> considering yeah. men are biologically programmed to think about sex every six seconds i um, don't know that that's true sean <laughs> i i would challenge that but i do well i think that we all think about yeah. Sex naturally, right? Unless we're yeah. asexual. Yeah, which I also hadn't learned that term. Especially after puberty. I mean, it's like, you know, that's kind of like, you know, from the teenage boy experience, it's like, oh my God, like, yeah, it, it yeah. crosses your mind a lot. So I actually like, remember hearing somebody say that when I was a kid and I would count the seconds and be like, is somebody thinking about sex? And I would do it again. And, uh, and it was so funny because that whole time I'm thinking about sex because that's what I'm, you know, I when, when we're told to not think about something, it's like... Yeah. here's this really enticing secret. Don't ever think about it. And yeah, it's I like that like app that's, that's like, don't push about. the button. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's like, don't push the button. And you're like, well, I don't like the app. There's a button poke, you know, like exactly. it's, it's something that's just there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, uh, you know, my experience was just like, I never really had a formal sex education in, in anything relating to LGBTQ issues. So it's like, you know, for gay folks, it's like, okay, well, like, how do you bottom? How does it not hurt? That kind of thing. Um, for folks that identify as trans or transgendered, it's like, okay, well, like, how do I start doing, if I go through my transition with the hormones, how is that going to affect me? Like, um, I was listening to a really amazing, uh, podcast in this American life where, uh, they were interviewing, uh, this, uh, this gentleman who is like a female to male transgendered uh, person. And he was describing how, like, basically he went from being like, kind of like a, not you know, not very sexual, but like somewhat sexual female to like an overtly, like I think about sex, like I'm a hormone monster, like mm -hmm. male. Have you ever seen, um, Oh my God, what's the name Transparent? of that? Transparent? 
No, yeah. what's the name of that uh, cartoon on Netflix? Um, I think it's like Big Mouth or something. Where I it's don't like know. there's this like character who's like a hormone monster that's like forcing these kids to like think about sex like while they're in puberty. Yeah. And he was like, he was describing on this podcast is like that's kind of how I felt. Like, oh my god, am I a sociopath? Like, what's happening? But that was the testosterone. But he's probably getting maybe too much testosterone. Like, I have a, a friend who did the opposite and yeah. transitioned to female, and her sex drive went really high, although she was comfortable with that. She was okay. like, because she felt more authentic, I think, you uh-huh. know, because low estrogen also yeah. makes the the sex drive go down. And I feel like when we accept ourselves, we open ourselves up to so much more pleasure and desire and and all of that. And I don't know if anyone talks about that when you're going through. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's especially difficult for transgendered folks. And like, I, it's, you know, it's tough growing up gay in like a society where, you know, like gay is not the norm. And like, I mean, this is like nineties, like friends were like, they're making fun of Ross wearing a pink shirt. Like, um, you know, it's very, it's challenging, like to go up in that environment and kind of ask thoughtful questions and get thoughtful responses. Whereas like nowadays, like gay folks can connect with other gay folks. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like, here, use this kind of lube, like, you know, use water-based if you're wearing condoms because, like, latex will, like, actually interact with, like, the oil and it will fracture and, like, you can break condoms more easily if you're losing, like, an oil-based lube with condoms. Right. Um, but it's, like, that kind of info you don't get if you're, like, in a basic, like, abstinence-only condoms don't work kind yeah. of. I mean, like, you don't get anything about the actual technicalities of what sex what happens during sex, you know, yeah. or any of that. There's not a, you know, here's a better position if you're <laughs> – not that they should teach that to, like, little kids or anything because <laughs> I think it needs to be age-appropriate. Yeah, yeah. But but it's just so interesting that you learn about – it's all about, con- you know, conceiving or yeah. trying not to conceive, which ideally is by not having sex, you right. know. And if you're a girl, especially, or if you identify as female, that y- we get this message that the um, – that the pleasure is really not for us and so then why would we even think we can desire it yeah and that's really that's a shame well honestly because it's like you know sex sex serves like a reproductive purpose obviously especially for heterosexual couples but at the same time it's like that's also like relationship cement that's a way for you to connect with someone um i i was taught you know in part from my education in part from my parents that like sex is an expression of love so i mean like really when you're having sex with someone like that's supposed to forge like a very important bond with that person. Like, you, you know, if you're just thinking about it from like tunnel vision, the reproductive side of it, then it's like, you're really missing like a lot of your, you know, dynamics of your even relationship, I think. Yeah. You don't get intimacy if you're only about the technicalities and all yeah. that stuff. Have you heard of the Seminette? Do you know what that is? No, I'm not familiar with it. It's a sex toy that allows two people with vulvas or well, really anybody with a vulva, but specifically was made for these. It was a lesbian couple that wanted to find a way to, inseminate and have fun at the same time so instead of using a turkey baster (laughs) it is a toy and it actually ejaculates like you put the semen in there i mean there's so many amazing things out there but again it's it's stuff that we either have to kind of seek out typically yeah it's it's kind of like it's it's as if like you're giving like a you know someone who's going through their you know puberty and all that through their changes is like okay well here's the internet have fun like and you're kind of on your own left your own devices yeah 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 it's really fascinating so what do you think we need to address to be more inclusive in our in our sex education and the ways that we talk about these practices uh well i i I think at least from my own perspective i think such education needs to be a little less assuming like you know, maybe not so much like focused on this is reproductive reproduction and like how it works and all that. Here's the statement in the pistol, that kind of thing. 
Um, the biology, obviously, I think is important. So that way people know, like women especially know, like, why am I going through these changes? Why do I feel, you know, why do I feel the way I feel like when it's that time of the month? Um, and then I think also, like, they kind of have to explain, like, you know, here are different functions of sex. Here's like, you know, it's not just about, you know, reproduction or preventing diseases or preventing uh, conception of, of, you know, a zygote, basically. Um, it's got to be more inclusive of like this is kind of like a role for sex and how you can kind of define it yourself. Right. And we can have our value systems and apply those. I mean, it's good to have a value system and our ethics and yeah. all that stuff. And I think it's important for parents to know that they can teach their child and, and teachers. Well, teachers aren't really allowed typically to, to teach, you know, really comprehensive sex ed, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but just to know that you, you know, if you want to, quote, save yourself for marriage, I don't know if, you know, that that. That phrase, if you hear that and you're like, I would like to not have sex unless I'm married, that's fine. There's mm -hmm. an, uh, that's beautiful. If that's what you want to do, great. Yeah. If you don't want to do that, that's great, too. Uh, if you if you are asexual or intersex or, you know, I feel like more and more, especially our youngest generations, they're so much more open-minded about gender identity yeah. and not wanting to, like, label your sexuality, which I think is super cool and, and really inspiring. Yeah, I I think that's really it's a very positive change I think, and I I think ultimately like because sex ed I I personally think like that should really come from like the parents I think like you should be able to kind of you know you can talk to your kids about all kinds of stuff like why can't you talk to them about sex like yeah it's kind of uncomfortable to talk like to your parents about that sometimes I guess but like the only reason it's uncomfortable is because like society's kind of taught us like this is this thing and it's like kind of awkward and it's weird and like all that and it's like. No, it's not really like it's yeah. more of like a formal like, OK, like let's talk about practical, like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I if guess. it's if there's not all this pressure about it being a talk, I feel like if it's <laughs> yeah. just, you know, because that puts so much pressure on it being this one big conversation about birds, bees and all this other stuff that your kid's going to just like block their ears. And, you know, instead of it just being I'll answer your questions and we'll just be here and here's a resource and I don't know the answer to this, but we'll find it together. You yeah, know, I awesome. think that's so important because uh, especially I mean, I, I also listen to Savage Love, I think, from, with Dan Savage and like he he's a sec he has a sex column and all that. And he was saying he messed up the sex talk with his son when he first had it. And it's like, you know, this is a person who's got, like, years of experience talking about this. And he's just like, and I messed it up, too. It's like, I think we all kind of have to not be afraid of failing, you know? Like, there's, like, so many websites dedicated to, like, watching people fail. It's like, fail, ha, 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 oh, my God. And it's like, there's, like, a level of shame with that. And it's like, no, dude, like, everyone's failing. Like, did you not watch The Last Jedi? Like, failure is the greatest teacher. Like, mm -hmm. that's how you learn the best. You yeah. Know? And sex is supposed to be awkward and weird and funny and messy and complicated and beautiful. And That's that's life. Yeah. Life is messy and complicated and beautiful and crazy and messy and you're going to mm -hmm. fail at it. Like, yeah. you know, it's a matter of picking yourself up and learning from it. It's like, okay, like, do this, don't do that. Like, cool, you know? So with your upbringing... You know, with the Catholicism there and not learning a lot, how did you end up interested specifically in talking about, like, you know, STIs and STDs and, and all this? Oh, uh, well, I mean, uh, I, I took a class at UC Irvine when I, when I was an undergrad. And basically the, the rhetoric teacher I had taught us think globally, act locally. And that's kind of been my mantra ever since. It's really like, um, you know, I, I learned a lot as a microbiologist. So it's like, okay, well, if I retain all this information, I don't tell other people what I've learned, like they're not going to learn either. Um, you know, that's kind of been an ongoing issue of like trying to get my dad to like get his darn flu shot. You know what I mean? So it's like, if I don't 
explain, you know, what I know or like kind of help people understand it, how are they ever going to understand it? And I also, I also kind of think about it for myself. Like, you know, I was the gay Catholic kid and like, you know, small town, like Silmar, California. So it's like, okay, like, how do I learn all this information? It's not readily available to me. Like, um, so it's like, if you kind of meet with folks and kind of help them along, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like an egalitarian, like, I'll help you guys out and you can help someone else. Like, yeah, that yep. way it's just pay it forward. You Doing know? something proactive and all that. Yeah, that is yeah. so awesome. So I know you're working with giant microbes. Who <laughs> I am, yeah. I was able to work with recently. I think they are awesome. Would you share a little bit about what you're doing with them? Yeah, so I, I had the idea with my buddy Will where basically uh, we wanted to spread out public health messages, but using giant microbes as a way to kind of uh, spread the word. Um, as a scientist and a nerd, like everyone in my lab is obsessed with the giant microbes. Every time we go to like a scientific conference or something, we're mm-hmm. always like, oh my God, those are the stuffed animals that look like the pathogen I'm working on at the bench. This is so cool. <laughs> um, like I have a gonorrhea one at home, like as we were talking about that earlier, uh, to kind of bring it full circle, I guess. And uh, one of the ideas that we had was trying to like shoot different videos to kind of explain like, okay, this is how these diseases are transmitted. So that way it's like, you know, our first one we're working on is about covering your cough and covering your sneezes. Um, I guess like not a lot of people think about this, but when you cough, you're actually launching like uh, like viruses and bacteria out of your mouth at like 50 miles an hour. So like even if someone cough at 50 miles an hour. Yeah. So wow. like when you when you cough, like if I'm coughing <coughs> like really hard at this side of the room, if you're like six feet or closer, like you'll actually get like doused with a bunch of the stuff that was in my throat. Um, same thing when you're sneezing, if you sneeze, you actually can possibly launch like one of those droplet nuclei at like 200 miles an hour. Um, partly why your doctor doesn't like tell you to like hold your sneezes in. Cause if you like try to hold it in, you're basically like messing Put 200 with miles an hour of pressure into your nostrils. Yeah, exactly. Ow. So that's, that's so you can get like a nosebleed and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I had the idea of like, why don't we shoot like a video where like you can actually like see someone sneeze and then like in another, it cuts to like this scene where like someone just gets impaled in the face with a giant microbe. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what happens. It's just invisible because these are microscopic organisms. Like you don't even realize like, oh, I'm coughing and like, good, good. You just gave someone pertussis. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's so awesome. And if we have any science lovers listening or educators who teach about sex ed or want to have a way to talk to like their kids or a partner around all these things, I know Giant Microbes has over 200 products, including STDs, um, sex education products, like uh, they have eggs, they have sperm, and they can get, listeners can get 20% off. Go to giantmicrobes.com and use the code August20. So my name, August and 20 for 20% off. And you also have some cool things coming up this weekend, John. Uh, That's right. So in Los Angeles, we're celebrating Long Beach Pride this weekend. Uh, I know this Friday, um, uh, my favorite bar, well, Ken Harry's, will be having uh, a kickoff event for that. So it's a country line dancing bar. Everyone's welcome to come. Um, and uh, we're going to be kicking off a uh, L.A. Pride season, I guess, with uh, Long Beach Pride this weekend. That is awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And how can people learn more about you and follow your work and all that good uh, stuff? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, Penguin014. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram as OCHDancingDoc. Um, so you can find me there. Um, I do have a few publications out. We just finished, uh, another paper on syphilis that'll be in, uh, the journal of sexually transmitted diseases. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. If you guys want to 
send me a message about a nerdy question, I'm happy to answer. <laughs> awesome. Any one last tip for anybody? What would you like people to know about sexual health, STIs, all this, all this good stuff? Thank you. That's a, that's a good question. I think the most important thing about STIs is communication. Like, you know, at the end of the day, if you are comfortable with kissing someone, if you're comfortable getting naked with someone, you should be comfortable to talk about this kind of thing. Like STIs is not that big a deal. I think people get scared of it because it's like I could be infected with something. It's like, no, just talk to someone, communicate, just open your mouth and say, hey, let's chat. Um, you know, this was the last time I was tested. When was the last time you were tested? Maybe we can get tested together and like you know, if anything pops up, we'll get treated and we'll be fine. Like, Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. you're feeling uncomfortable, you can say that. Yeah, I'd say talk just about, but... don't be afraid of talking to somebody. Yeah, if yeah. they fly off the handle about it, it's like, okay, well, that's your issue. You can have that issue. But, like, ultimately, we should be comfortable talking about this if we're comfortable being naked and all that. You know? Right. And the more comfortable that we are and the more we take that initiative, we also inspire other people to do so. Yeah. Which is so important. I think we provide sex-positive role models. Absolutely. Yeah. Which you are one. Thank you, Sean, Oh, for gosh, being I hope here. so. <laughs> Thanks for your work. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, August. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't, or you can also leave a simple review. Just click that star button. It's very easy if you just want to leave us a rating, and you can follow us on Spotify. For extras, again, hop over to augustmclaughlin.com. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.